at the end of it, I was just a broken human being. I had no, I, I literally, you know, you're having those talks with yourself. Like if I survive this, I'm not running anymore. I'm not doing ultras anymore. This is it. Uh, you know, I don't want to ever experience anything like this because I was literally fearful for my life. I All right, as always, huge welcome to the Ultra Running Guys community. You've got Jeremy Reynolds, Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And tonight we are welcoming back our guest from last week. If you haven't watched last week, go watch it now because we've been getting a ton of great feedback on uh, Andy Glaze. And so I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. Go watch yeah. it. And uh, <laughs> Andy, with that, man, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me again. Dude, I'm looking here. forward to it again. This will be fun. Heck yeah, man. Um, like I said, we, we have been getting a ton of feedback and uh, I'll, I'll give a little teaser. You know, last week we talked about um, you've just been doing some incredible things. So over 8,000 miles in 2020, did a couple back to back thousand mile months. And so we talked about kind of all the things that we knew our audience would want to know, right? How did you do it? Why are you doing it? Um, and really dug into the mm -hmm. stuff, the questions they had, nutrition and all that. Um, but one of the things that really caught our attention about you early on, uh, aside from the smile or you're doing it wrong, is really your perspective on failure. And so you had a write-up about your December thousand mile challenge. And near the end of that, mm -hmm. you had a statement that jumped out. And that statement was, I am a failure and I love that about myself. So that's really where we want to start, man. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time there, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is going to be a great <laughs> That's going to be the focus, right? It is, because I often feel like a failure in life and just everything. So I was like, that's perfect, because there's an aspect of ourselves that we need, really need to embrace about being a failure at, at things to be successful. So I really liked it. So let's start there, man. Tell us why that statement and what that means to you. Well, um, I have failed a ton in my life um, on personal levels, on... Uh, in ultras and jobs and all these things. And why I love it about myself is because, you know, failure makes you reflect on the things that went wrong, but also the things that went right. And then you're able to go back to the drawing board and hopefully succeed eventually. And I, I think if, if things come too easily, then it doesn't taste as sweet. So like, if you just go out and just succeed right away, then you don't really learn anything and you, you just accomplish something. Maybe the bar was set a little too low or, um, you know, it, it just wasn't, you needed to set the bar higher. Basically. I, I don't like, I don't regret any of my failures. Um, some of them I really, really don't like, and I wish I didn't do them, but at the same time, they made me who I am. And, um, and so even though some of them are a big, big pill to swallow, it still made me who I am. So I, I don't want to regret anything. You know, everybody's got to learn from their mistakes, but I think there's certain mistakes that you, you don't want your kids to learn, you know? Like, and, and so uh, if it's such a big failure that you had to like change course in your life or do something that was very like traumatic, that maybe you can take that failure and then, you know, give it to somebody else so that they won't make that same mistake. 
For sure. Um, you know, I think that most people really shy away from failure. I know for me, um, there's been times, you know, and I've, I've even written about it being almost embarrassed in a race. If I thought it wasn't going the way, or I might have to pull the plug or something like that. There's this level of pressure. Um, but when you did your video actually about the December thousand mile challenge, you actually also made a statement in that you said something about like, I think my rate of six or, you know, failure in this is probably pretty high. I like my chances of failure in this challenge because so many things can go wrong i mean in an ultra and, and, and anything but like you know when you when you shoot for the moon you know there's there's a huge chance that you're not going to make it um and so you know when i came up with the thousand mile challenge in december and i was like i'm gonna run a thousand miles in december you know i had work i had family covid's going on i have all these things against me and um i somehow had to overcome all of them to get where i wanted to be and under realizing that if anything goes wrong, when you're trying to run a thousand miles in a month, that might be it. You know, you might not. And I, and I had some pretty big challenges in December. I had, uh, I, I had a big piece of metal fall on me in a fire and I really hurt my ankle and I, and I got through that and a bunch of guys in my work got COVID and I ended up getting force hired for like an extra five days at work, which is, you know, 120 hours. And, um, and those things set me back, but I was still able to overcome because, you know, I, I think partially because my discipline and everything, but also I'm just really, really stubborn and, and, and made sure I, I was successful, but you know, they could, if I had gotten COVID, if something like that had happened, that would have been it. And yes, it would have made me a failure in that challenge, but at the same time, I would have just learned from it. And, you know, if I was healthy and strong in January, I probably would have tried again in January. I mean, I ended up doing it in January again too, but you know, if I failed in December, I wouldn't have just given up. So, uh, so something you just said in, in the beginning of that, I thought um, it, it's really profound. And uh, and it, maybe you said it and didn't mean it. I don't know, but I'm going to go back to it because you said you okay. like you liked your chances of failure. Like you you looked at the month, you looked at the challenge, and you liked your chances of failure. And so, somebody who's listening that may be considering their first 50 mile or 100 mile or whatever it is. Um, oftentimes they, they worry about failing and stuff as opposed to looking at it in a healthy perspective and saying, there's a chance I'm going to fail and I like my chances. But instead of seeing that as a negative, seeing that as a positive, like I, it almost like the challenge of the failure and, and going past it is, um, is really what you're getting at there. And I think that's pretty profound the way kind of twisting the perspective on that a little bit for sure. Um, other thing you said earlier, um, is you don't like your failures, um, but you don't regret them. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of regret and, you know, I've had, I've been divorced, you know, and I'm in a great marriage now. I learned from my mistakes. Um, so on a personal level, I obviously, I failed in a marriage and, you know, that was a hard thing to, to get over and, and, and move past. But, uh, you know, I did, um, health wise, I failed, you know, like I said, I, I used to smoke cigarettes and, you know, just party and do stupid stuff. And, you know, I look back at that as, yeah, you're dumb in your 20s, but I also, I mean, it was a failure. I was failing in life at the time. I was able to turn that around. Um, so not just in, in running, but in, in general, you know, if you if you look back, I'm sure we all have just a ton of things that we failed at. And, you know, you either give up and crawl into a little ball and, you know, and, 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 and cry or you, you know, figure out what went wrong and, and then, you know, move on. So there's been times when I've crawled into a little ball and cried, believe me. But um, in the long run, I really try to to move past that and 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 become stronger and better and 
and learn from it, not repeat it. I don't like repeat. If I failed and then I fail again at the same thing, that's what gets me upset because yeah. I like, I'm like, I should have learned from that. And I didn't. And here I am in the same spot. Why am I repeating my same failures? I, I, I should not be repeating my same failures. So that that's where I get maybe a little bit of regret if I, if I get back into that spot, but I try really, really hard not to repeat my, my failures. It happens though. You know, I'm human. So, so man, I went and looked at your results on ultra sign up and one, there's a ton of them, right. And we're going to talk <laughs> about some of your, your past racing history. Um, and it's pretty cool. But if you scroll to the bottom, there's also a, a big fat handful of, of DNFs. Um, and I've heard you talk a little bit about DNFs. We're going to go into that in a minute. Um, but I think same thing when we're talking running specifically, I think a lot of runners will take a DNF really hard, yeah. um, it, because I don't know if it's tied to identity. It's just, I don't have what it takes something, but it's this path. It becomes this pass fail. When I heard you talk about it, it didn't sound that way. It didn't sound like you were, you judge yourself that way. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, but knowing that you've had those DNFs, do you beat yourself up over them or is it? Is it, hey, I demanded a lot of myself. It didn't work out. I'm just going to learn, but you kind of remove the judgment. How do you work through that? Well, I think for, for most, it's hard because especially on the ultra community, there's a lot of, I think, uh, external and internal pressure people put on themselves on like social media. You know, people like they put their training plans, they, you know, the, all their pictures of their runs and all these things, and they're building up for a race. And so you know, everyone's cheering them on. Everyone's like, yeah, you're going to kill it. You're going to do great. And then if they don't finish it, then I think that internally they, they like have a lot of, uh, you know, pressure that they feel. And they're like, oh man, I'm such a failure because, you know, all these people thought I was going to do well. And then this happened and this happened and it didn't. And um, I, I think it's hard, hard on them. My first DNF, um, I was definitely in that boat. I was, I was racing pretty well. I was having some really good races. I was, um, you know, I, I, I was faster because I was, you know, I, I was younger. So, and uh, I was running the Miwok 100K and um, which is a really competitive 100K. It's up in San Francisco. So you get all those really fast, you know, San Francisco runners and it's, uh, it's just a beautiful course, but I was like top 10 and I was, I was killing it, man. I was having like the best day. Um, I was like, man, I might get top five. I might get top three. Um, and I think about halfway through it, I was walking out of an aid station and I stepped in a hole and I just felt like shooting pain in my knee. And, uh, all of a sudden it was like, I couldn't put any weight on my knee. Um, and that was it, man. I was like, that ended my race. I ended up having to get driven out of the, you know, the aid station back to my car and, you know spent the rest of the vacation up in San Francisco uh, limping around. So that was really, really hard for me because not only I felt like physically I was like at the top of my game and I was doing everything right. And, you know, I went from like having the best day to having the worst day. Um, so, and again, like all the pressures from social media and, you know, everyone telling me, oh, you know, you're just, you know, you're doing great and all this stuff and then have a DNF. Uh, it, it was it was hard emotionally. Um, it was a big growing experience for me, and I had to sort of shift my perspective because before that, I was in that sort of ultra boat of death before DNF, and I will not. I will gut it through, and 
you know, I will do whatever it takes to finish. Even if I have like a broke, like a broken arm, I'm going to go through. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, I can't stand. I'm not going to go run another 30 miles through the, you know, hills of San Francisco. And uh, it, it, that's sort of like what shifted my perspective. And I started really thinking about, well, what can I learn from this? Um, and, and how do I get, you know, how do I not make this mistake again? Obviously trauma is trauma. But, you know, just in general, like shifting my like mental perspective. So, um, I mean, that's kind of where it all started. I, I had to fail big in order to, you know, to get into this like failure is a good thing. Because it, it wasn't, that's not how I felt like when I first started running ultras. Um, I'm not sure. I, I know I just went on like several tangents, but maybe you can like refocus me. I'm not sure. No, 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 no. You actually right? answered it 100%. Um, that was spot on. And so... It, it helps us to kind of figure out like where you actually started changing your perspective on it because I think it's very um, honest to, to say most people are going to start with this external pressure of what people perceive that they're going to do because we built ourselves up not in a way that we're trying to be even prideful or anything but we're excited about a race that's coming up we're doing you know we're training for it, it consumes us right um, and then when the DNF does happen because it will happen for people um, it, it is like an emotional landslide that, you know, overtakes. And so I think it's really cool for you to kind of share your first experience where, with it and how you've, you've kind of evolved, right. Or matured, like we have to do at some point in our lives, right. we've, we've matured and kind of healthier perspective of it. So, and you may have already answered this to some degree, but how would you um, encourage somebody if they have had their first DNF, let's say it's one of your friends who they're, you know, they're training for one of these races coming up and they DNF, like, how would you encourage them to kind of embrace that without, like the self-torment that they may inflict upon themselves. Yeah, normally I just tell people, hey, welcome to the club. You know, it's, a, it's an awesome club and there's a lot of really cool people here. So, uh, you know, I, I still have friends DNF and all the time that are really, really talented athletes. And I just, I kind of just welcome them in like, hey, we're all in here together. We've all done it. So, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Like there's always going to be more races and uh, more opportunities. And so this wasn't your opportunity. I mean, I think it really only matters if you're like a professional, you know, because you have, if you're a professional, it's your job. But if you're not a professional, if you're not getting paid to do this, or you're just an ambassador or something, just getting some free, you know, loot, like, who cares, man? It's it, just go run another race or, you know, go do something else that's going to make you feel good. But, you know, welcome to the club because we're all, we've all done it. So even Wamsley's DNF, right? I mean, it's, it's not an exclusive club. So, um, yeah, just embrace it. And, you know, like I said, go back and figure out what you did wrong, but at the same time, figure out what you did right. Those are two very important things. It's if you fail, it doesn't mean like you didn't do anything right. You probably still did a bunch of stuff, right? So don't, don't like discount the whole experience just because the end result was failure. Look at both sides, figure out what worked, figure out what didn't work, and then go back and try to, you know, do, do it differently. Um, you might fail again. If you fail again, again, repeat the process until eventually you're going to, you're going to succeed. Um, if you put in the work and, and, and do what needs to be done, um, you're going to succeed. Now, if you don't put in the work, you don't, you know, you don't suffer a little bit, you don't put in the hours and all that. Obviously you can't just succeed by doing nothing. So, um, you still got to put in the work. You still got to work hard, but if you put in the work and you keep looking at what went wrong and, and trying to fix it, then eventually you're going to get to where you need to be. You're going to succeed. And once you succeed, it's going to feel so great and it's going to be so sweet. And 
it's going to make it worth it. You're going to, you're going to actually like value that, that success because you're going to think to yourself, man, I, I failed all these times and then here I am and I'm, I'm successful. So. Uh, man, yeah. I, I hope that everybody that's plugged in is really listening to this because you are like, that, it's true. yeah, to me, it, uh, you're speaking the truth. Um, but Two quick things. So one, Wallace, yes. I 100% agree. That guy, everybody thinks of him as, uh, you know, one of the best, which he is. But he's had a couple huge strikeouts, man, where he just went for it. And that dude is not afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. The second thing about Walmsley, and this is kind of a side note, when I read your, so uh, Andy's got a blog, go read it. We'll post it in the notes. But you did a race report and you ran with Walmsley and you you said, hey, man, he was so fast, you know, within a quarter mile, he's out of sight. He said, but side note, <laughs> I was in the line for the bathroom with Walmsley and like to report that he craps like the rest of us. So Amen, man. Yeah, he does. Way uh, to keep it normal. I, I, I took, I, I pooped next to Walmsley. That's a true story. And, and uh, he definitely, just like all of us, he, he poops. So, oh, and now that since there we've talked, to, since we've talked to you, we're kind of like close to him. So, it's like we, the six degrees like, of separation. We, we pretty much hung out with Walmsley, you know. So, uh, well, I think anyways. I think we're like tied. Like he beat me at uh, the Gorge 100K, but then I beat him at UTMB because he DNF'd. So I hey. think we might be tied. It's still it's, a win. Uh, it is. It <laughs> that's is. A, that's awesome. Um, so sorry, sorry. I don't think he's ever going to make our guest list anyway. Probably Ooh, well, like me, no. Oh, no, man, I think he's, <laughs> I'm waiting for the call. Anyways, um, sorry, I completely digress, but uh, <laughs> you may cut this part out. I don't think yeah, so. I think okay. we're going to keep Our this one in. <laughs> this one's going to stay in. Um, but anyways, so dude, I, I think you're speaking the truth and bottom line. Uh, so, so I think where we want to go next. So you've got, I would like to hear when you kind of categorize, so obviously you've got some huge successes, um, UTMB, a lot of big races, 72 hour races. I would love to hear kind of your, maybe if you pick one or two, kind of your top successes that you would say, man, those were great races. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of keep it short, but why? And then also on the flip side, let's talk about kind of, you know, some of the epic DNFs or some specifics where we can say, this is what happened. And these are the lessons mm-hmm. that you learned and that maybe you can share uh, you know, with the audience on both sides. So let's start with the success. Okay, let's do success. First. Yeah. Uh, let's start. Okay. I mean, I think the best race I've ever had was uh, cold water. And I want to say it was 2017, but um, I ended up getting first overall. That was and a 100? Was one, yeah, 100 cold water 100, yeah. And I think, you know, it was just one of, honestly, one of those magical races where everything went, went right. And, um, I felt strong the whole day. I ran hard the whole day. Um, and, and I mean, I crewed myself. Everything was just, I, I did a solo hundred miler. It was the first time I'd ever done that. And uh, it was, it's a 20 mile loop course, kind of like Havelina, if anybody's done Havelina, um, just in a different mountain range in Arizona. And uh, yeah, it was like, it was just a perfect day. Like one of those, one of those races where it just feels like a hot knife through butter the whole day. And I don't think I've ever had a race like that again since then. But, you know, I ended up, I ended up winning it. And it was like crazy because I, I didn't think I was on that level. The guy that got second is a super talented guy too. And he chased me for like 80 miles. And then I think he ended up kind of falling apart after 80 miles. But he ended up getting second still. But, you know, I, I, he chased me the whole day. And it, it was like, it's very competitive. He was chasing me. I was running hard. And, um, yeah, it, it 
it was one of those things like my stepdad had just died and I had all this just like emotional like turmoil and I just took it all and just put it into the race and I remember like uh like mile 80 I'm like crying you know you go through all these like emotional roller coasters on 100 and I'm crying and all this stuff but just like still just charging and uh yeah it was I'm getting choked up just thinking about it but yeah it was a, it was a really good day um was before we move on from that was there any takeaways that afterwards you're like oh man I need to remember that or pass along or did you just think it the right things came together and it was just an individual experience I think you know it was I was in really good uh like like my fitness level is really high uh, I'd come off like some pretty like decent hundred mile races the, the year before. So I think a lot of it was my fitness. Uh, a lot of it was I was single and just basically all I did was run mountains. So <laughs> um, yeah, my, my fitness was just like out of, out of this world because I didn't really have any responsibilities. And every day I would just get off and go run like a 12,000 foot peak and just um and then like my nutrition was good everything like literally just everything went went well so uh, a lot of the, the lessons I learned from like what I ate and things like that I'd learned in previous races as things that worked so when I it was kind of like you know that perfect I took all the lessons I learned and I put them into this race and it just worked out perfectly and then let I mean other races I did a I did a three-day uh, loop course, uh, and I got 230 miles and won it, and, and that was just fun um, because I'd never done a loop course before, and I basically just got to run for three days, and, you know, that's like my dream, right? I mean, I, I just like, I just kept running, and, you know, the more I ran, the, you know, the little, the more I got, so. Uh, that, was, that was another first place, correct? Yeah, yeah, I was... Uh, and, and that's, you know, race like that, you know, learn a lot, but it's, it's more of like a race against like attrition, you know, like people might've been beating me at some point. And then, you know, one guy got really chafed and, and had to drop out. A lot of people just got to 200 miles and was like, that's, I, that was my goal. I just wanted 200 miles and, and then they stopped and I just kept going. So uh, it was less about winning, but just, I wanted to see if I could run 200 miles, obviously. And then just the experience of, when you're doing a loop course for three days, you see like the same people over and over again. You, you get to like chat with people, talk to people. Um, it, it's kind of cool because normally when you run a race, you don't really see anybody unless you're like in that like sort of middle section where you're, you're running with people. And when you do a loop course, you get to like, you know, experience the slow people, the fast people, the medium people. And uh I, I like that. It was, it was cool. So that was my first time doing that. And it, it opened my eyes to, you know, a totally different style of ultra running, which I enjoy. I don't, I don't know if I could do it around a track. This was like a two mile sort of windy trail that went through like, kind of like mountainous areas, but it was still pretty flat, but just like, it was at 5,000 feet. And, uh, it's 115 laps. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> it's a, so, lot of, a lot of laps. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, it was cool that they had like showers there and, you know, so I'd like run however many miles, 50 miles and I'd go take a shower, take a quick nap, go back out, run, you know, another 30 miles, eat some dinner and then, you know, take another shower. I, I, it was like super casual. I slept a ton. 
over the 30 days and still has managed to get 230 miles. But I, I did it real casual and just, it was just a fun, fun experience. You know, they, so. you, you know, they have other races that you can run as long as you want to run for as many miles you want to run. They don't even have an ending time. Yeah, I did that in 2020. I ran 8,000 miles. So that was my <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, I have to That's ask. why I brought it up. I know, I have to ask. <laughs> we're going to talk about future races later, but have you considered doing a backyard? Okay. I have. Um, I've thought about it a lot. I think, I, I think it would be, it'd be fun. Um, I just got to, you know, find the right time. I, I, there was one out here in California that I was thinking about in 2020 and when COVID happened, I got canceled. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it'd be fun. I, I, Cause I just did one and my, that's my big race in May. Just promise me you're not going to show up at the one that I'm at, man. There's already enough competition. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I got a big race in May, so I think you're safe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that too. All right. Yeah. Um, so why don't we move on then? Let's do the flip side. Let's talk about yeah. some of the DNFs. Um, most memorable. Most memorable DNF. Well, I mean... I struggle. There's, I have two very significant DNFs and, and I, I don't know if memorable is the right word. Um, uh, Badwater 135, I, I DNF'd and uh, I would say that was the most like painful DNF on some level because of the amount of energy and effort I put into it. Um, but then I also had a really like sort of traumatic experience at uh, Ultra Trail Mount Fuji in Japan. Uh, in 2019 that pretty much derailed my entire like running for almost a whole year and so one is like PTSD and then one is just like a really hard DNF so I think I'll, I'll start with Badwater um, and then we'll get into UTM, UTMF if you want Sounds but uh, with, with, with Badwater um, for the, those of you who don't know it's a 135 mile race that Races from the lowest point in the United States, Badwater Basin, negative 282 feet to uh, Mount Whitney Portal, which is like 8,000 feet. And then most people go and climb Mount Whitney, which is the highest peak in the continental United States, 14,000 something feet. So um, I trained really, really hard for this race. It's really, really difficult to get in. Um, they only allow 100 people a year to do it. Uh, it's a hand selection process. You have to write all these essays. And um, first you have to meet the criteria, which is like a certain number of races and they're not like easy races. So you have to qualify with very, very difficult races. So I had to run hard hundred milers just to qualify. Then once I qualified, I had to apply and I applied with, um, you know, all these, you know, essays, what's the meaning of life? All you know, serious. I mean, I'm I'm being serious. Chris Kosman. Um, yeah, Chris Kosman. You know, and then and then that that application then goes to a review panel, and they they grade you on your merits, on your you know abilities, on your answers, all that stuff, and then you might might or might not get in. Um, I didn't get in the first time I applied. Uh, I did get in the second time I applied. Um. Uh, I went and volunteered. I was a crew chief for one of my buddies and uh, the year before. And, you know, so I had experienced the race. I knew how hard it was. This guy was super talented. 
Um, Jared, Jared Federoff, if, if, if you Google him, he ended up getting second place, I think, in 2019. Wow. The year I DNF, he got second place. Um, but he's, you know, I've raced all over the, the world with him, and he's a really, really talented ultra runner. But um, he had a really tough year the year I crewed him. So I knew, you know, that even like you can come in there with all this talent and still almost fail. I mean, he was he was in the hurt box. We had to nurse him back at, I think, mile 30 or 40 or something like that. And he ended up doing really well at the end. But so I was aware. And then the amount of effort you have to put in beyond all that, logistically, you have to get a vehicle. You have to have, you know, hotels in the middle of Death Valley. You have to have a crew and a certain amount of crew. So you got to convince people to come, you know, join this journey with you. And it's not like, it's not fun. It's like, hey, you want to hang out with a, in a van in 128 degree weather uh, no cell phone service and you can't really run the AC cause the car might overheat, uh, for like two days. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard sell. So you get all these people that are going to help you and do all this stuff. And then you have to logistically figure out, um, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, how you're going to get ice, um, on and on and on. So, you know, this huge plan, I literally had like a notebook that I made wow. to, to help my crew and, you know, you have, I had race briefings with them and everything. And at mile 50, my body completely shut down. Um, I, I literally, my whole body cramped and, you know, you get a calf cramp and it hurts. I'm talking from my neck to my toes, my body was cramping and it was two hours and it was the most painful well, I've had kidney stones. Kidney stones were the most painful, but second most painful experience of my life because I couldn't stop it. You know, mm. your body is involuntarily cramping and, and and there's nothing that will do to stop it. Um, was it a hydration and then coupled issue? With that, I, I hadn't, hadn't peed in like a very long period of time, even though I was taking in an enormous amount of water. Um, so, you know, that, that scared me a little bit too, being a paramedic and knowing all the complications you can have from that and knowing like, you know, if you're cramping, it's clearly an electrolyte imbalance and then not peeing can lead to, you know, all sorts of other issues and having an electrolyte imbalance, being dehydrated can lead to cardiac problems and on and on and on rhabdo. Um, and I had to pull the plug because one, I needed to pee and I ended up not peeing for like, I think, another 18 hours, even though as soon as I pulled the plug, I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking. I didn't pee until I got home. And, you know, my wife drove me all the way back to where I live in Southern California and I still didn't pee and I just kept drinking. And I remember when I first peed, I looked down at the toilet and I was just like, like just saying a little prayer, like, please don't be black. Please don't be black. <laughs> and it wasn't, and it was a great feeling, but um, yeah, I was scared. I, I was legitimately, legitimately scared for my health at the time and yeah it, it was hard you know the build-up you know on social media everyone's cheering for me you know i got into bad water it's a big deal and you know it's world's toughest race i mean it's it's definitely tough there's there's harder races i think but you know it's definitely one of one of the harder races out there and just man that was that was hard to get over oh and on top of that i was on a hundred mile uh run streak i was like 28 weeks in and that killed my run streak. So then I had to, you know, swallow that pill too. And I was like, man, what else can go wrong? You know? Um, but 
what did I learn about that? I learned that I needed to change my electrolyte um, like routine and, and all that stuff and incorporate different things. And I did a bunch more research on electrolytes and uh, what the best kinds to take in and, and basically just changed all that about myself. And I haven't had cramping issues or anything yet. And I have run some hotter races. Um, obviously not as hot as bad water because that's, that's just on another level, but um, I want to say I, I learned from it, and I think in the future I will go back, hopefully after this whole COVID thing is over, and, and, and attempt to, to run it again, and, and hopefully I'll be successful. If I'm not, you know, I'll go back to the drawing board, but I think as long as I have my electrolytes uh, dialed in, hopefully that won't happen again, and I'll, and I'll be successful, um, but it's one of those things where it's like literally my body failed and I couldn't stop it from failing. And it was a very surreal, weird experience because it's not something you can just gut through or just like, you know, Oh, I'm going to no, like I, I couldn't. And, and that's, that was hard. So, so that's bad water. Um, you guys have any questions on that or like, I, I actually do. Um, as funny okay. as it is, I know that he's had his own kidney problems in some of his races as well, but, um, the, the lesson learned about the electrolytes, I think is huge um, that you would kind of like, you know, change it about yourself. But I guess the thing I'm curious about is in Badwater, you said it was mile 50. Is that right? Is that yes. when you route around mile 50? Yeah. So for those who are listening, it's very important to pee, right? Like you've got to make sure that you are. And that's one of your ways that you can kind of monitor how you're doing on your hydration along the way. So at Badwater and you're up to mile 50, uh, had you done anything like that? Had you gone like pee at all up to that point? Or, I mean, because you're looking at what you would do differently and how you kind of learn from it. It's monitoring along the way. Yeah, changing your electrolytes um, and going into it, but even knowing how you're processing everything um, up to that point would be, I think, helpful. Yeah, no, I, and that's the thing is I had not peed. Um, I think it took 12 hours or something to get to mile 50. Is that right? Maybe maybe 10 hours. No, I think it was 12. I, I can't really remember. The thing about Badwater is the first 50 miles, they have a really hard cutoff. And if you don't get to mile 50 by a certain time, um, then you then you DNF the race too. So there's a lot of pressure to get to that mile 50 without stopping too much. And, and I was in, there's three waves in Badwater. And of course I was in like the elite wave, which started the latest. So I had the least amount of time to get to mile 50. Um, and, and so you have that sort of uh, pressure to like, I gotta get to mile 50. Once you get to mile 50, it's, it's, it's smooth sailing as far, as far as like your time constraints go. But uh, I didn't have a lot of like time where I could like sit down and rest and like try to rehydrate um, be because I was like trying to make that cutoff so, so hard. And, and, and of course, like I wasn't expecting it to take 12 hours for me to get 50 miles. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm like this speedster, but uh, you know, I, I think at Cape Fear, which we talked about last time, I think I ran that in seven hours or something like that. I mean, you know, and that's 51 miles. I think it was seven hours. It was, I, it was pretty, eight. pretty quick. Yeah. It was under yeah. Eight, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, 12 hours for me in a, in a 50 miler is, is one of my like slower times. So I wasn't really expecting, I knew it was going to be hot and all that stuff, but I wasn't expecting it to me to have that much trouble. Um, but there I was at 12, 12 hours and, you know, about to, about to not make it. And then, you know, it was like to get to mile 50, you have this like low, slow, like, uh, like 
uphill for like, you know, maybe eight miles. And my, my legs started like doing this weird cramp thing. And I was like kind of dragging it. And I was like, oh man, this is weird. Um, but in my mind, I was saying to myself, uh, I'm just going to get to mile 50 and then, you know, I'll take more electrolytes and I'll get back to where I, I need to be. And I wasn't like pre-planning. Like I, I, when you do an ultra, I feel like you got to always be thinking two hours ahead. So I'm going to drink water. I'm going to eat food and I'm going to take electrolytes, not for right now, but for the two hours in the future. And you always have to be kind of pre-planning those two hours in the future. And I wasn't doing that. I was living in the moment of, I need to get to this cutoff or my race is over. And I couldn't like think past that, whether it was the heat or the fatigue or whatever. Um, I, I just, I, 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 I didn't do it. And my crew was even like, Hey, why don't you do it? And I'm like, no, no, we just need to charge and we just need to get there. And uh, yeah. So again, life lessons that, uh, that I'll have to, uh, I'll have to learn from and, and get better at for the next time I do bad water. Chris, if you're listening, uh, you know, let me back in, please. <laughs> They'll write you another essay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, um, yeah, so th that was, you know, the, like, that was hard. Um, I, I have a lot of other ones and I, and I took notes and sort of like looked at all my other ones. Most of them have to do with trauma, like, uh, like San Diego 100, I fell and knocked myself out. So what's the life lesson there? Don't fall, but you know, you can't, you can't help that. I've had two pretty significant DNFs, um, Havelina and AC 100. Um, I had like serious chafing issues and, um, you know, I have a chafing plan. I, I, I do things to try to prevent that, but those, those days it just didn't work out. I think the, what I learned from that mostly is if it's really, really hot and you use like ice bandanas or you put ice in your pack or something like that, um, the water that sweats out of that and runs down your back and runs everything, it feels great, but it also washes all the lube away. So you have to find a delicate balance of staying cool with an ice bandana or whatever, but not staying so cool that you wash all the lube away. So now what I'll do is I'll use less ice cubes or whatever in my in my bandana so that it doesn't produce so much water that, um, that yeah, because if the lube goes away, then, you know, that's it's the end death. of your race. It's death. Yeah. Lots of death. So before we move on, because you mentioned Havelina and, and the chafing, right? Right. So I think, though, that story ended, if I remember right, you told that story. How did that race end because you had something significant planned am i right i'm talking about that right so yeah so the first time i didn't have alina um I, I i was planning on proposing to my wife or my fiance or no my girlfriend at the time um at Havelina when i finished and so i obviously had a lot of uh pressure to finish that race um i ran with the ring in my backpack the whole time you know and you know i had the whole plan talked to everybody about it everybody knew about it except her obviously and she crew chiefed me and got me through it yeah I basically got so chafed that I just could not finish the race and I but I was like I'm still proposing I mean I got a I got 60 you know two miles I mean that's still kind of impressive but it's gonna happen and so I ended up you know in the parking lot as you know I'm hobbling out and I'm kind of putting my stuff away. I, I, I proposed there in the parking lot, like, you know, 
And luckily she said yes. That's but, awesome, uh, man. I'm sure it was romantic. Yeah, the next year, though, I went back and, and finished Tavolina and did really well. Got like 20 hours or something like that. So, again, learning from my mistakes and, you know, doing better the next time. So, and she was there, you know, for me to finish and it was you know, awesome. So, and then we get to UTMF. So, UTMF, Ultra Trail Mount Fuji, is it's another, um, it's another really hard race to get into. Uh, it's challenging because it's in Japan. So there's all these like Japanese rules and they only let so many foreigners in. Um, side note, the Japanese love to run. It's like a huge cultural thing out there. And when you visit Japan, everybody is running all over the cities. It's really, really cool. So um, the race has a lot of local people that run it or local being Japan local. Um, and it's, you know, it's part of the UTMB series. So um, I have had really good experiences at UTMB. So I assumed, you know, this will be a hard race, but I'll be able to get through it. You know, did all the research, got in. Um, after not getting in for a couple of years, I got in. So I was super excited and, you know, planned this huge trip. Logistically, it's obviously challenging to, to you know, go to Japan. And then the race is out. You run, you run around Mount Fuji. Um, through kind of like the foothills of Mount Fuji and it's very rural out there so like finding a place to stay and all all everything I had to do was it was a challenge and, and there was a big build-up to it so I, you know again like I was sort of talking about with failure I had all this you know internal and external pressure of I've put all this energy and effort into it and I'm going to succeed and the weather was great. Everything was great. And then we woke up that morning to get on the bus to go to the start line. And it was a monsoon, just, just pouring rain. And that was the first start of like, uh Oh, this, this is, this is going to be a challenge. Now I did UTMB the first year and it rained on me for 36 hours and snowed above 8,000 feet. So I knew I could get through a long race, even if it rained the whole time. Um, but Obviously, I, you know, I was like, well, this is going to be a, a little bit harder now. So, you know, I started running and things were going well. I mean, no, no real complaints. Uh, I had a couple slip and falls, but nothing, you know, too bad. And around mile 30, we got to this like mountain. I mean, I'll call it a mountain. And it just went straight up. And it was all mud to the point where they had ropes tied onto trees and you would be like, pulling yourself up with these ropes to get through these sections of climbing this mountain to get to the top. Jeez. And uh, I've never experienced that in a race before. That was, that was crazy. So you just have all these guys, nobody speaks English and you're, you know, you're, you're basically climbing this mountain using rope systems and you're slipping and sliding. And um, it, it wasn't fun. I'll, I'll just say that I was not at that point, I was not having a good time. And <laughs> so I get to the top and it's right at dusk so things are you know it's just starting to get dark so you know i got to the top and i got my headlight light on and at that point this huge fog bank just like rolls in so i don't know if you've ever had to run at night in fog but basically the headlight just reflects all the fog you can't yeah. see anything and so i'm like well at least it's downhill i'm a good downhill runner and you know hopefully it'll be a little bit better no the other side of the mountain was straight down just like the other side was straight up and the rain started getting heavier and heavier. And, and I, I basically, it started like a mudslide. And so, you know, we were, 
all you see is like little headlights all over the side of this mountain and the mud's flowing and I'm holding on to trees and looking to see where the next tree is so I can slide down to it and grab the next tree. Oh and there's like a sheer cliff to the right of me with like, they have these signs with like skull and crossbones, like don't go this way cause you'll die. And the mud's going off the side. And I'm like, oh, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And I fell so many times and I hurt myself so many times. And I think it took me something ridiculous, like six hours to go like two miles down this mountain, getting caught in all these mudslides. And at the end of it, I was just a broken human being. I had no, I, I literally, you know, you're having those talks with yourself. Like if I survive this, I'm not running anymore. I'm not doing ultras anymore. This is it. Uh, you know, I don't want to ever experience anything like this because I was literally fearful for my life. I thought, you know, it's, the mud's breaking trees, and so you have all these, like, sharp points sticking up. And I'm thinking, if I fall and land on one of these sharp trees that just broke, I'm going to, like, impale myself. I mean, every worst-case scenario is, like, going through my head. And, um, but, you know, I very, like I said, very slowly made my way down. And I think I counted, I fell, like, 26 times. And I'm talking falls where you, your feet go above your head and you land hard and you know knocks the wind out of you that type of fall and then you start sliding down the hill and you're trying to grab onto trees or bushes or whatever you can and so I get to the bottom and then I had to run another seven miles to the next aid station and it was I I was so <laughs> I was so done I was just that was it and uh I'll tell you after that I didn't talk about it I, I basically just wrote something on social media and said I had a bad experience. I DNF'd and, you know, that, and this is honestly the first time I've really, I've talked to my friends, some of my friends about it and stuff, but I haven't really ever talked about it because it was literally so traumatic that uh, I didn't know if I'd ever love running again. So, um, if you don't yeah. Um, and then for the whole rest of 2019, I barely ran. I mean, I was running like, 36 mile weeks and every mile was just like, I hated it. I remember running into a buddy and he's like, Oh, good to see you running. And I'm like, I have no joy in this. I'm literally just doing this out of habit and knowing that if I don't run, it's going to be worse, but I don't want to be running right now. And, and that sucks. Cause you, you know, I was at a point where obviously where I'm at now, where I just love running and it's just the best thing in the world. And, and I hated it. I hated running and I had to sort of, rediscover running again um i think a lot of times time heals most wounds and so as time went by after about six or eight months um it got better but i had pretty intense ptsd after that where i wasn't sure i was going to be able to like recover i think 2019 i got 3,000 miles and which is you know that's a low mileage year for me so um but yeah, so that, I mean, that's, that's what happened there. And, you know, what's, I don't know what the takeaway from that as far as failure goes, other than, you know, sometimes you're just going to have to experience really, really hard things. And um, it might take you longer to, you know, recover from them. It's not all, I mean, and that's just not in just in running, but in general, um, you might have something really, really hard happen to you. And it's not going to be just a quick fix. Like, 
obviously a divorce or, you know, if you got like a DUI or, you know, just something like that's going to cause you more time to recover than just a quick day or a week or a month there, you're going to have to slowly work your way through it. And, and, and that's what I ended up having to do. I just had to take the time and obviously look at me now. I, I've obviously recovered and I'm back to loving to run and having a great time. And it's good to look back and go, man, that was a really dark period of my life. And I'm glad I got through it, but um, I did. So, and you know, you said you're not sure really what you got from it or anything, but I would say that um, it, the, the discipline that you had going into the race, the discipline of running beforehand, um, it may take a long period of time after DNF, regardless of what happened to somebody and yours is very traumatic um, that you went through. Um, but because you were disciplined going into the race with running itself, by sticking with your discipline, your discipline itself of who you are actually brought you through it on the backside to falling back in love with running. And so because you were disciplined, it's, the lesson is almost like if there's something that you love doing um, and you are disciplined in this behavior, whatever the behavior is that you're, you're doing, whatever hobby it is or recreational thing you have, if you stick with that discipline um, after a traumatic experience, you will fall back in love with the things you've been doing before. Um, and I think it's really... Um, I appreciate you sharing a story. I think it's, um, I can't imagine what that's like. Um, I think being in the dark and having everything falling around like that as well just made it like 10 times um, mentally traumatic for you because it's completely out of control and you can't see right. anything. And so um, you just don't know what's next with, with the way down. And so I, I appreciate you revisiting it and, and sharing it. Um, it's well, and you know, the thing is, you know, we, we run these races and they're, and they're hard and everyone's like, oh, I can't believe you can do them. And obviously we, we walk this razor line of how challenging they really are. But I don't think at any point any of us are thinking like, I'm going to die, you know, doing this sort of thing. I mean, I, I don't want to die. Um, and, you know, failure, the only time failure really is, is, is terrible is if, if it ends in a death, because then that's it. That's the final failure. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, it definitely, you know, I have family, I have kids, I have all these things. And I'm on this mountain thinking, you know, I just gotten married to my wife. It was, this was kind of like our, our mini honeymoon because she's in nursing school and we didn't have a whole lot of time. So it was like, well, looks like our honeymoon is going to be me running a hundred miler and then we're going to spend some time in Japan, uh, which she was very accommodating, which is, it was nice. But uh, yeah, you know, so I didn't want... <laughs> I didn't want to like lose all that. And uh, it was scary. It was very, very scary. So, but I'm back on the horse and, you know, we'll go run some hard things in 2021 and we'll see what happens. Well, and before I move away from it, I'll, I'll echo what Jeff said. I really appreciate you sharing because I know when we were kind of researching you and I, I asked you the question, hey, what happened at Mount Fuji? Because I can't find anything about it. And you write about most of your experiences um, and like you said, I, I came across one little statement that essentially said, Hey, I almost died. Um, and when I asked you about it, you said, look, man, I, I haven't really talked about that. Um, so you're a great storyteller. And so people are probably going to watch it and it, and it sounds, uh, you know, it, the emotion came through a little bit. Um, uh, but I really want to thank you for, yeah. for opening up because I know you haven't before. So, um, yeah, it's. I didn't, I, I tried to write about it, you know, I was thinking, oh, if I write about it, then I can look back and, you know, sometimes writing about things helps me because I can reread it later and then learn from it because 
you forget things, right? Your your brain, like if it's traumatic or failure or whatever, your your brain tries to like forget those things. So I like to write things down so that I I have the inability to forget it because I can always revisit it. But um, I couldn't even write about it. I mean, I literally I I have like a document where I started and it's like a paragraph, and then it was just like I, I just couldn't do it. So well, you know. incredible. I, I, I relate a tiny bit, not the same, um, but like, like he mentioned, I ended up with rhabdo and kidney failure after a race and do I was in the hospital. I couldn't even think about running without getting sick to my stomach um, just because of where I was mentally. I mean, I didn't think I was going to die. My mom thought I was going to die. <laughs> but, um, so, man, I've been there where I just it's a total mind shift of, hey, I don't even want to, to plug into this right now. You want to switch gears? Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned big things in 2021. That's really the next thing we wanted to shift to. Um, we know you got a couple races on the horizon, one you just pulled the trigger on. And so I think we want to talk about those two. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Kopi Donut 250, I think is your A race. And then just right yeah. behind it is the UTMB, which I think this will be your third time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Co yeah. UTMB will be my third time. Fingers yeah. crossed that, you know, you know, it keeps going on because it is uh, an international race. And with all the COVID stuff going on, you, you never know. Plus, it's it's a small little city in uh, France, Chamonix, and uh, putting like 15,000 people in there. You know, who knows if they're going to let us do all that. But um, I will keep my fingers crossed. They did cancel it last year, but last year was a little different. So, um, but yeah, Cocodona. Um, super excited about you know i've been watching the race like all you know them talking about it for a while and then i finally was like well you know where i'm at mileage wise and everything this 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 looks like something that uh you know might be cool before we get too far into it because i know a lot of people aren't going to know what the coca 250 is oh, yeah so why don't you give us a quick overview yeah so coca um it's a 250 mile point to point race from Black Canyon City, Arizona, which I have no idea where that is. And it ends in Flagstaff. And you go through a bunch of different mountain ranges. I know people think Arizona, they think desert, but they actually have quite a few uh, mountains that have pine trees and everything. Uh, and, you know, Flagstaff is actually, I think, I think it's like 7,000 feet or something, something crazy. I yeah. think that's where Wombley lives and trains and everything. It's, it's, it's pretty high up there. So uh, it's a 250 mile race with a, a pretty good, uh, you know, vertical profile, lots of ups and downs and just, you know, snaking through central Arizona. Yeah, so I've, I've, I'm, I'm going to just yeah. piggyback real quick. Um, like you said, man, some of the most beautiful parts of Arizona, Sedona goes up through Jerome, which is definitely on a mountain, uh, which is a cool ghost town. Um, I grew up going out there, but like you said, so it's 253 miles. You've got 125 hour cutoff. So essentially five days uh, right. to do it. Um, and it's a 20, 25,000 feet of gain. So for 250 miles, it's not that it's a, you know, a tough profile, which you're used to, but at the same time, a lot of it, I think you're going to see flat. And so that gain will probably be put into a couple pretty, uh, you know, condensed, places, condensed yeah. points where you're right. going, to be going up yeah. and down. Um, that's what, I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like some really, really steep climbs and some steep descents and then sort of just, you know, some desert running. So it, it, it's going to be challenging. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not like, you know, UTMB has 30 something thousand feet of vert in a hundred miles. 
This has a little less than 30,000 feet and 250 miles. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not going to be like a vert monster, but at the same time, it's not going to be, you know, flat either. So I think at the, at mile 240, you climb the like tallest peak outside of Flagstaff. So yeah, that'll put some hair on your chest for sure. Like, you know, you're already probably pretty tired and it's like, Oh, great. Let me get my poles out and be climbing this mountain right here, right before the end. And it's a, it's a 9,000 foot peak, which, you know, compared to Colorado is not big, but when you're climbing for, for some of the low points, I think the low point of the race is, you know, about a thousand feet. So to uh, make your way up to 9,000 right before the finish line is, that's going to be a kick in the face. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 I'm going to get my poles out for sure. I'm going to yeah. be, uh, I'm going to be pulling that thing. So the other cool thing for me, is, and which sold me on it is every aid station has like this amazing vegans like selection and so i'm like well they're pretty much catering to me if they're gonna have like all this vegan food so now i'm like okay so i get to run 250 miles through the mountains and someone's gonna cater me food and have like tents and stuff set up for me if i need to sleep i mean it just seems like total win-win for me i'm like uh, sign me up and so that's you know i signed up Wow. Yeah, uh, so I've heard Aravipa uh, spoils. Like, so they're going to they're gonna have tents set up at the aid stations? I think there's a few they, points. They have, uh, they have tents. Uh, some of them have bunk houses. I mean, it's, it's a big production. And they even have like a menu of what they're going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the aid stations for like hot food. I mean, it's crazy. Like the amount of energy and effort they're putting into this is just it's, it's going to be great. And this is their first year doing it. So I'm sure they're going to try, you know, to make it like something really special so that they can do it every year. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm super jealous. So let's, uh, why don't you give a quick overview then of UTMB for people that may not know that, and then we'll kind of get into your expectations and stuff kind of for both races or how you're looking at them. But why don't you just give us a quick overview of UTMB? Yeah, so UTMB, I think, is, uh, you know, Western states in, the, in, the, in America is like our big A race for 100 milers, and then UTMB is like the big international A race. Um, it's really hard to get into as everything. They have like a whole complicated point system where you get points for certain races, but not points for other races, and you have to get like 15 points over two years, and then you have to apply, and there's a lottery, and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's you know. It's one of those things. So for whatever reason, I've been super lucky and I've got in, uh, well, this will be so three out of four years. So I got rejected one year, um, which is like unheard of. Everyone I've ever talked to, you know, maybe gets in one year. I don't know why, but I, I, I can't get into Western States. I can't get into Hard Rock, but I get into UTMB. So <laughs> I, I'll take it. Um, but yeah, it's in, uh, like southern maybe maybe southeastern france and chamonix which is uh, it's kind of like aspen in colorado it's like a super rich ski town so everything is very very nice and they have you know all these like nice shops and restaurants and it's all walkable and it's just like the coolest vibe um and you're literally surrounded you're in this little valley this french valley and you're surrounded by the alps um you basically run from France through the Alps into Italy and then from Italy into Switzerland and then back into France. And I think there's like 11 or 12 peaks you climb. Um, 
you like up, down, up, down, up, down. And it is a true mountain race in the sense that the weather is very unpredictable. Uh, it, it, it's hard. I mean, I, I did 36 hours the first year and 40 hours the second year. So, you know, I think a good time there, like an impressive time where people, you know, like people now are like, if you do a sub 24 in, in an American race, people are like, oh, that's good. I think if you do like a sub 33 at, at uh, UTMB, people are like, oh, that's impressive. So it just gives you like perspective of, you know, how challenging it is. It's mm-hmm. 10,000 meters of climbing, which is like over 30,000 feet of vert. And I think you get the first 50 K you get like 11,000 feet of vert. So (laughs) you bet it's, 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 it's hard. So you said earlier that Cocodona, um, the, the two fifty is your a race of the two. Um, so what are your expectations going into that race? Yeah. You know, this, so this is what I'm trying to figure out. Um, I'm, I have mixed emotions where I want to go and see if I can, how, how fast I can do a 250 or 200 mile mountain race. And then I have that other emotion where it's like, well, what happens if I get to Sedona and it's 10 PM and I feel good, but if I run through the night, I'm not going to see Sedona. Do I want to like go to bed and wake up in the morning and be able to run through Sedona so I can see everything? Or do I want to get a good time and finish it in you know, however many hours. And so right now I got like the angel and the demon going, you know, enjoy the experience, you know, uh, you know, look at all the beauty. And then yeah, the, the demon's like, no, go fast, go hard. So, you know, see how well you can do. Uh, so I don't, I don't know who will win. Let me challenge you on that. So which of those uh, voices, um, the angel or the demon, gives you the greater percent chance of failure? Oh, the demon for sure. You know, the demon that wants me to do it in like 60 hours or whatever, you know, he's, he's, he's going to, I'm going to, that's going to be hard, you know, yeah. pushing through all those nights and, and doing all that stuff. But, you know, so I, I'm not a professional and it, it, if I win it or if I get 20th place, not, not that I'm going to win it. So Michael McKnight and all the amazing guys that are going to run it. I'm not saying I'm going to win it, but I'm just saying, say top 10 or top 25 or top 50, it doesn't really matter because I'm not professional, but you know, sometimes it's, it's cool to see how, how well you can do um if you push yourself so i'm, I'm the friend who pokes the bear so you're saying you're going to go hard i i, I, I might you know <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we'll see what happens yeah but at the same time you know we learned from the last time that it really is it's the it's the smile you're doing it wrong sure. it's the experience it's um you know mm-hmm. and one of the things we even talked about earlier is is the not judging yourself and being mm-hmm. able to uh, remove some of those expectations and, and just enjoy the experience but i think that's why you can go hard well yeah i think both i think <laughs> i think either is a win i think it's just a matter of what what'll set better with you that day probably right i mean you know it's 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 a long race so it's it's not going to get won or lost in in the first couple of days that's for sure so getting into that third day and and seeing where you are and um what you have left in the tank um i mean i'm planning on regardless if i'm going hard or not i'm planning on sleeping you know i I think if i've trained myself to you just be able to operate on four to five hours of sleep a day i think that'll help me in a race like that because i can maybe do you know 80 plus miles a day and then sleep for four or five hours and wake up and feel you know okay you know, I mean, obviously not fresh, but not where I'm going to 
fall apart. And I, hopefully that will, that will help me in a race like that. But you know, who knows? Like I said, this is my first 200 mile race, um, in this sort of situation. And I'm probably going to do it solo. I don't know. My wife's, I think her nursing program is going to be like in full swing right then. So I don't think she's going to be able to come out. Um, but that'll be, I mean, that'll be okay. Like I said, the aid stations and everything are pretty good. And I think there's like nine drop bags. So, you know, I should be able to get everything I need in those drop bags and, and, and be pretty good. That's all good, man. Um, so you've got two big challenges this year. Uh, we're super excited to see how you do with both of them. What I want to ask is because, you know, our audience, like I said, we've got people that are looking at taking on their first 50 K 50 mile, hundred mile. Um, and so, what is what would your be your, your advice be for somebody who's sitting there going, all right, man, I got this big challenge. How do I go into it? You know, what, what's your advice for somebody about to take on a, a big challenge of their own? Uh, I mean, I think that they you know need to make sure they're ready for it. You know, don't don't go into a challenge thinking. I mean, thinking that you can just accomplish it without any hard work. So put the work in. Uh, being afraid to fail is one thing, but like knowing you're going to fail because you didn't put any work in and you're just going to like go couch to 50 K or couch to hundred miler. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that either. Um, when I'm scared to fail, be, I, I put in the work, you know, um, I, I don't know where I got it, but you know, people always wish you good luck. Hey, good luck. And I always say, you know, luck is the last dying wish of the unprepared. I don't know if I read that somewhere or what, but, uh, I love it. It's not about luck. It's about hard work and putting in the time and, you know, setting a goal and then slowly getting there. You're not rushing there. So if you have a 50K or 50 miler or something and you're excited about it, just make sure that you work hard so that, you know, you're not going to hurt yourself or, you know, overextend yourself. Um, just put in that time and suffer and remember that, you know, you're lucky that you're able to be out there suffering because there's a lot of people out here in this world that do not have the ability to do that. Rather they're injured or, you know, sick or whatever. And uh, if you're out there being able to suffer, uh, find some joy in it. We definitely will not wish you good luck then because you are obviously <laughs> very, very prepared um, in everything that we've talked about this week and even before. Um, you put a lot of thought into things, you put a lot of preparation into it. Um, so there's no question that you're prepared for most of the challenges you set out to. And so I think it's great advice um, to those who are listening. Yeah, man. But you list. can still fail. All the effort and energy I put into stuff and, you know, you never know. Something will happen. And 100%. But that, the distinction just... is, to, to me, the lesson that I'll walk away with is don't be afraid to fail, yeah. but don't set yourself up to fail. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and so if you can get those two things right. Um, you know, it's you... worse than failure doing not doing it you know sitting on your couch watching tv wishing you had done something and not doing it that's, that's way want. worse than failure yeah. so and dude that takes me right to that's you know that's one of the things that <laughs> like i said we always talk about is just just show up uh doesn't matter if it's scary doesn't right. matter you know pre be prepared but just show up sometimes uh you know the way to, to greatness really is just taking the next step mm -hmm. so for everybody listening um we so appreciate you showing up for the support we always get. And Andy, man, you have just been so full of information. And, and I'll tell you, 
So I went out this week. I got myself some aftershocks. Ah, yeah. I'm taking pictures of my watch. So if you haven't, again, if you haven't watched, <laughs> yeah, if you haven't watched the last episode and you made it to the end of this one, go back um, because it was just incredible. Uh, also, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button or listen on the podcast. You know, follow us. We want to make sure that you're, you know, with us for the long haul. But Andy, man, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you. No, I appreciate you guys, you know, having me and it's always fun talking to you. So it's been awesome. All right, man. Really good. Well, we'll talk soon and cut. cut. You can do better that and cut. Don't make us cut. (laughs) (laughs) My dogs are going crazy. Oh, at 29%, I should be fine. And I guess Zoom just kills your battery. So good life. Another failure? That's a good life. Be <laughs> right. It's going to be like 10 minutes of him talking. And then like every two minutes, it'll go to us going like this. <laughs> awesome, I dude. loved it. Oh, so good. This is good stuff. Really good You're stuff. You're a good storyteller, man. Oh, well, thanks. He looks so mad in that picture. Oh, no. I don't know if he knows that's his picture either. That's, uh, I hate Zoom meetings. And I don't know if it's the screen or if you, it looks like just right under, I don't know if it's a little bit wet or something. I just don't probably, know. It's, probably. it's just reflecting. I just, I just ran, of course. So check out these shorts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah these are jorts. <laughs> Dude. Oh my God. So, and they, these are actually running shorts that have the jort pattern printed on them. And they're super comfortable. So I'm over it. I'm over it. So. So what's up, man? How's How you guys doing? Hey, uh, podcast was awesome. I watched it, and uh, you guys have really, really good production value. I especially <laughs> like the <laughs> Hey, everyone. This is uh, Jeff Podcast. Oh, Andy's turned sideways. And, yep, <laughs> Jeremy's gone to the bathroom. I'm gonna, just give me one second. My yeah. phone just told me it's at five percent, so I know you can edit this out. I'm gonna um, go figure out how to charge my phone while it's on Zoom. Sure, by edit it just out, you mean put it at the end. No problem. <laughs> yeah.